Good morning, City Light. My name's Chris, and I'm one of the pastors. And uh, today we're going to be in John chapter 18. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them up. We're going to be camping out there and then flipping to 21. And uh, just to give you a little heads up, uh, we have, uh, before Christmas and looking at the Advent season and Advent series and celebrating the birth of Christ, uh, we were tracking through the Gospel of John really week after week after week. We paused that sermon series uh, to celebrate Advent, and now we're going to pick it up for the next couple weeks and be tracking through the Gospel of John together. And so that's where we'll be going today and in the next couple of weeks. Now, um, before I jump into John chapter 18, the verses that were just read, uh, I want to ask a question. Uh, have you ever had a day or a moment uh, that went much worse than you anticipated go- it going? Have you ever made a decision that um, it went so bad, the only thing that you could do to redeem the decision is just confess openly, that was a fail? Um, I don't know about you, but I've had moments like that, believe it or not. And um, one of them happened early in my marriage. And so um, Chris and I got married almost 10 years ago, and we came into our marriage with like a a really busted vehicle situation. You guys might have been there before. Um, You get married, and the only transportation you have is like the car that your mom bought you when you were 16, and it was a hand-me-down at a used car lot. Or uh, maybe you got a Buick from grandma, and it was so busted, she didn't even know what to do with it, so she gave it to you, the nephew. And, uh, or the grandchild. And so that was where uh, we were at. We had these busted vehicles. And so we did the Dave Ramsey thing. And we took the financial class and we started saving. We were going to do it right, you know? And we were all gung-ho, just saving the little bit of income that we had. And finally, it came to the time where we got to start looking for reliable transportation. And my wife uh, decided graciously, hey, you, you can take point on this decision uh, and try to find us a vehicle for our family. And that really proved to be a horrible decision on her part. Um, <laughs> See, I had never bought a car. I don't know what to look for in cars. Uh, I didn't have somebody to teach me how to buy a car. And so uh, I went to where you naturally go to find a car. I went to eBay and I started looking on the internet for a car. Now you're already laughing because you know this is gonna end really poorly. And so um, start looking on cars online and find all these backwoods dealerships. And I, I learned something about online car searching that you can get more car for your money if you select a vehicle that's been in an accident or has a salvage tile. So if it's been destroyed or rammed by a large truck, you get a discount, okay? Believe it or not. And uh, so I'm like, ah, I like a deal. I like this, affordability, more car for the buck. Sure, salvage title. Um, Does it matter where the vehicle is? Mm -mm. Sometime, somewhere in the backwoods of North Carolina? Sure, absolutely, let's take it. So the horrible news is, just to kind of get into the story, is that I won the bid. I sent some money to a guy in North Carolina in the backwoods, and a car showed up at my house a few days later. And um, um, everything was going fine. We were driving around in style, like the AC and the heat worked. It had like Bluetooth, and the radio was going. I was like, man, I am the hero of this marriage. I made an incredible decision. This car is great. Until it wasn't. And then we were driving down I-80, And I'll never forget the night. It was a cold night, and my wife was in the passenger side, and I heard what I could have swore sounded like an explosion underneath the hood of the vehicle. And the reason it sounded like an explosion, because it was actually an explosion underneath the hood of the vehicle. And uh, the next sounds I hear is like middle pieces hitting I-80 as we're kind of coasting down uh, the interstate. And uh, I hit the gas, and the engine is not responsive, and instead oil just shoots up onto our windshield. Now, I'm not very mechanically inclined, but just, I I realize at this point we need to pull over. The situation is not going well, okay? 
<laughs> so we pull over, car's broken, things are not working, it's freezing cold, and I uh, call a mechanic or call a tow truck, we get the uh, uh, car uh, towed to a, a mechanic, we get a friend to give us a ride home, and, and the next day I'm just sitting there like waiting by my phone, waiting for the phone to ring from the mechanic to give me the diagnosis. How bad is it? Like maybe, you know, maybe it just needed an oil change. Maybe the windshield wipers were just not working right. I don't know. It was dark. Maybe I heard something. Maybe it's not that bad. No, it's bad. When the mechanic opens up with, where did you buy this car? That's usually not like a lead into, you did a great job picking this one out. Um, And so uh, basically the mechanic told me, it's bad. Like you need a whole new engine. Uh, The cylinders uh, broke open. It is, I don't even know who like hot glued gun this car back together, but it's a hot mess not going to go well, thousands of dollars. It's going to be a couple weeks. It's not a good situation. I hung up the phone a little disappointed, and I thought two things. One, I'm an idiot. So just so you guys know, this is free pastoral advice. If you're thinking about buying a salvage title vehicle on the internet from a guy named Jerry in the backwoods of North Carolina, don't do that this week. Okay, that's not going to be a good decision. Number two, I thought to myself, my wife literally may kill me. It is entirely possible I may not survive the first year of my marriage. And um, So I go out there and I tell her the situation and it was a fail. The only thing I could do in that moment is say, honey, there's really no like um, spinning the story and saying this is gonna be a blessing in disguise. This is just kind of what we call a husband fail moment right now. Um, I don't know if you've been there. Maybe I'm the only one. Has anybody else just been, had one of those moments? Can you raise your hand so I'm not feeling alone? Thank you, a few honest people. Okay, mostly husbands out of accountability to their wives that are literally hitting them like you did the same thing. Okay, Tom, you did it. Don't think I didn't forget, okay? So um, <laughs> that's the problem. Anyways, I'm not going to get into that, how y'all don't forget stuff. But anyways, um, so in that moment, I, I knew that was a fail. And it's fun to joke about, and it's fun to laugh about. But in a very real way, the t- reason I tell that story is because on a deeper level, have we not experienced failure in maybe more significant areas of our life? When we as husbands don't love our wives sacrificially like we promised to do, and it feels like a fail in our marriage, when there's ongoing conflict and strife, and you look at your wife and she's not thriving under your leadership, but man, she's barely surviving. Does that not feel like a fail? When your children rebel, and instead of being patient and kind and loving in your discipline towards them, you act out of anger and you scare them. Do you not walk away um, from that moment of discipline knowing that that was a fail? And maybe in your own relationship with God, when you slip back into addictions or you pick things up in your past and you start to pursue sin like you, you once did, does it not feel like a fail? I think some of us are in a place where maybe this week you felt like a fail. Maybe last week you felt like a fail. Maybe all of 2017, man, the marriage didn't go well. The job situation didn't work out. The kids are still upset about your parenting techniques and they're not calling you anymore. And it just feels like your marriage has come to an end. It feels like most of what's going on in your life feels like it's a fail. Has anybody else ever been there? And I wanna preach a sermon today called Your Failure is Not Final. Because what I believe is so many of us have um, maybe in the past picked something up, drifted back into addiction, settled for playing religious games instead of pursuing Christ. And what we're experiencing is this moment of fail. It's nobody else's fault. It's our fault. It's our sin. It's on the table. It hasn't gone as we expected. And it's been a miss. And I want to let you know that your failure is not final. And here's what I want to say to you. Some of you guys in this room today, you understand you're guilty and you understand you're broken and you understand you've got some misses in your life. And yet what you do not understand is the grace of Jesus Christ is greater than your sin. 
You need to understand your failure is not final. Some of you guys are sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I've blown it in such a way that I've driven myself so far off the tracks that surely, maybe, maybe God will tolerate me, but surely he won't use me for his purposes. Surely he doesn't have a plan for my life. Surely he doesn't want me on the team. Man, I just wanna let you guys know your, your failure is real, but it is not final. And we're gonna see that because of the grace of Jesus Christ and the work that he's accomplished for us through this story. And so today I really have two observations I wanna make. Uh, I wanna tell you one, that our failure is real and it can't be ignored. Second thing I'm gonna show you guys is that our failure is real, but it is not final. And um, we're gonna get this by looking at uh, one of the most, um, uh, maybe more popular disciples that uh, followed Jesus and his name is Peter. And we're gonna look at his story today. And we're gonna see this man, um, not just his highlights, but we're gonna zoom in on John chapter 18 and see some of his very low lives of his ministry. So point one, if you're taking notes, is this. Our failure cannot be ignored. Although your failure is not final, I want you guys to know we worship a holy God that does not just dismiss sin. He has to deal with sin. He is a holy and righteous God, and he will not be mocked. He will not just minimize it. He will not just gloss over it. He will not just edit that part of your story out. He has to deal with it. And our failures in our life, in our marriages, the way that we sin against God, the way that we sin against others, man, they've got to be dealt with, and they cannot be ignored. And One of the things that I love about the Bible when I zoom into John chapter 18 and see how um, the imperfection and broken moments of John are included is I appreciate that the imperfections of people in the Bible have not been photoshopped out. Think about that. You on social media, what do we do? We try to project us as strong. We try to project ourselves as the glossiest version possible. I did not send out a Christmas card this year of a kid um, throwing a pot at the other kid. We were all smiling in our gap outfits and it looked like we were all spirit-filled Christians. Little do you know, we were literally bribing our children with sugar to shut up and sit down. (laughs) Right? Like what our tendency is to do is to project that we are more than we are, but the Bible is not like that. The Bible is so honest and so true and so beautiful in that it does not just say, um, here's these heroes that should inspire you to be a better version of yourself and says, instead what it does is it diagnoses humanity as we really are. As even the best of you, the most talented of you, even the most committed of you, you are going to have moments that are absolutely just straight up fails. What I love about the Bible is you see people that we love to prop up and say, be more like them. And one moment they are walking by faith. They're boldly proclaiming Christ. They're um, walking the power of the Holy Spirit. And the next moment, what do you do? You turn the page and they've drank too much. They murdered somebody. They had a moral failure. They committed adultery. And it just looks like they succumbed to temptation and their failure might be final. Man, The Bible does this. It weaves together the real story of real people's lives because I think it's trying to humble us and diagnose humanity, not as a people who are strong and mighty and capable and morally elite, but as weak people who need a savior. And we're gonna see that in Peter's life. You know, Peter is a guy, as we zoom in on John chapter 18, we're gonna see him at his very worst moment, his very worst day, the day that he blew it, the day that he failed, the thing that had the power to haunt him to the very end. We're gonna see him on that day But we don't meet uh, Peter on John chapter 18. We meet him at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus' very beginning of public ministry, he um, comes out, hangs out with Peter, and Peter is in a small fishing village. He's catching some fish. Jesus walks up to him and said, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. It was an invitation to come be a part of the ministry that Jesus had. And Peter chose rightly, right? Like in that moment, he chose everything that wasn't familiar. He leaves friends, 
families, a business, everything that was familiar behind because he wants to be in proximity to Jesus. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to learn from Jesus. And so he followed him. And then one of the highlights of Peter's ministry is that after Jesus started preaching and teaching and healing the sick, there was like mass confusion about who Jesus was. Jesus kept telling them who he was, but people were somehow confused about who he was. And they said, is he a healer or a religious teacher? Or is he just a miracle worker? Is he a prophet that's come back? Who is Jesus? And in the midst of all of the chaos, Peter nails it. Spirit of God empowers Peter. And he says, I know who you are, Jesus. You are none other than the son of God, the promised Messiah. You are the Christ that has come to take away the sins of the world. Peter gets it. And let me just tell you that Peter loved Jesus. Jesus had prayed for Peter, walked with Peter, ate meals with Peter, and Peter had received the love of Jesus and then reciprocated love and a desire to walk with Jesus back unto him. And then we come to this moment where we see in our Bibles the fail moment of Peter's story. And when you come to these moments in the Bible, when you come to David blowing it with Bathsheba, when you come to Noah after the ark has landed on land and you see the way he blew it, and you come to moments where Peter, the one who had been the one just proclaiming Christ, was like the first one to say, I know who you are. And yet you're going to see him um, cowered back in this text. We've got to ask ourselves, why are these moments included in the Bible? Can we ask that? Like this is not positive, encouraging Caleb. Like, this is just like hard to look at. This is Jesus' disciple betraying him at the ultimate level. It's a hard. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is this here? So we can self-righteously come into this morning and say, you know what? I, Peter sure blew it. I'm so glad I'm not like him. You know, I would have had more courage than Peter because I'm, I'm tough like that. I'm no joke, man. You, you don't talk about my Jesus like that. I, I'm never going to deny him. Let's not talk about what you did your freshman year in biology class when you didn't want to talk about your views. Anyways, you know what? I'm not going to get into it. But, but I think we don't come here. I think we don't come here as prideful, self-righteous people saying, nah, I'm not like Peter. I think we come to this text and over and over and over again, we see that the most courageous, the most committed, the most faithful, man, they break their promises and they do the things that they shouldn't do. And I think we say, man, humanity is not in two categories, like the strong and the weak. Man, we're just all in the same category, broken people in need of a savior. Amen. And so that's where we're at. I want to show you guys how this gets worked out in our text. And so um, open up your Bibles, 18. We're going to look at verses 17 and 18 together. And I'm going to show you guys the the three different denials uh, that Peter has of Jesus. It says this in verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servant and the officer had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Okay, so let me just give a little context here. Understand it's the middle of the night. It's dark. It's cold. Jesus had just been arrested. Remember, Judas had just uh, kind of uh, handed over Jesus. He had led a group of Roman guards to where Jesus was at in the garden with his disciples. And now Jesus is being arrested and he's being put on trial and being questioned by a group of religious leaders who are jealous and envious of Jesus. And Peter was following along next to Jesus at a distance because he's just trying to figure out what would happen to this Jesus. What are they going to do to Jesus? Peter knows this is not a good situation for Jesus to be in. This is a dangerous place for him to be in. And so he's just trying to say, what's going to happen? How is this going to pan out? And Peter doesn't want to be noticed. Like he knows he's in territory with some people that are not like card-carrying fan members of the Jesus fan club. Like these are people who are hostile to Jesus and yet he's surrounded by them. 
And all of a sudden, a teenage servant girl who's unnamed and unarmed said, wait a second, are, are you one of Jesus' disciples? Like, I, I haven't seen you around here before. Are you, are you connected to Jesus? And Peter had to be thinking, wait a sec, like, this could go bad for me. They've already arrested Jesus. They're already um, beating Jesus. They could beat me, arrest me, bound me. They could execute me. They could hand me over to the Roman authorities. This could really go bad for me. I'm just here trying to hear what's going to happen to Jesus. I'm not looking for a fight. No, 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 no. I don't know this Jesus. And he cowards back and publicly denies him the first time. And let me tell you why this is so shocking. Because in John chapter 13, previous to these texts, um, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, guys, where I'm going, you cannot come. And Peter says, hey, Jesus, I appreciate that you're trying to teach me something. But unfortunately, that's not true because wherever you go, I'm going to go. And Jesus is like, actually, that's not really true. And Peter says, listen, wherever you go, I'm going. I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. Like if you try to come at Jesus, I just want everybody here to know I'm not going silently. I'm going out swinging. That's the promise of Peter. And um, what's amazing is that Peter tried to make good on that promise like just a few verses before this. If you guys remember, as Jesus gets arrested uh, by the Roman guards, there's like a whole bunch of them and a few disciples. And Peter decides now's the time to go into his like inner Braveheart moment. Do you guys remember this? They're marching towards him. He decides, I'm going to pull out my sword and I'm going to start swinging like uh, I'm William Wallace. Now, here's what we learn about Peter is that like he might have religious zeal and a little bit of energy and a little bit of excitement, but the brother is not a mighty warrior, okay? Um, at the end of the deal, he starts going Kung Fu Ninja on the Romans, and all he does is hit a man's ear. Like, you don't go to the bar the next day and say, bro, I laid these cats out. Like, I can't even tell you. I was going crazy with my sword. Did you get a femur or a leg or a limb? No, I got like a little bit of his earlobe, just a little bit of it. But he felt it, though. He knew I was serious. He knew. He knew I was bowdy, bowdy. You know, I mean, it's like, bro, you, you wounded a man's earlobe. Like, that's not that serious. Like, my daughter almost did that with a... Anyways, you know what? And so, and so there's not a whole lot for him to boast in. But, but this is where Peter's at, right? Like, he had moved from this guy that, I'm going to swing a sword on somebody. And now he's hiding from a teenage girl who's unarmed and just asking a question. And he's denying Jesus because he's afraid. And it gets worse before it gets better. He continues to persist in this lie. Let me show you verse 25 through 27. He says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And uh, once at once a rooster crowed and And notice that verse 27, the rooster crow, Jesus had promised when Peter made this promise, I'm going to lay down my life. He said, actually, Peter, you're not that good at keeping your promises and you're not honestly all that strong. You're going to deny me three times um, before the rooster crows. And here it is. Here's that moment where um, Peter is confronted by his weakness. But this moves, does it not just from like spiritual darkness, like a man living in sin and lying to just like a really actually socially awkward setting? Like, I don't know about you, but this, this sounds really uncomfortable. Peter's trying to hide. He's done trying to follow Jesus into the inner kind of areas of this facility. So he just goes to a campfire nearby, this charcoal fire, and he's trying to just blend in with the crowd. And somebody notices him um, and says, hey, you look like the guy that tried to cut off my cousin Leroy's ear. Yeah, you're the guy. Leroy told me there was some disciple that had too much Red Bull and started swinging on people. And he pointed at you and said, you were the one. No, that's not me. No, that, I saw your sword. It's bloody with the blood from my buddy's ear. And that's, it's you. 
Like, can you imagine? I haven't had that conversation this week. I didn't cut a man's ear off. Somebody had to have to talk to me and have to. But this sounds relatively awkward, does it not? This is uncomfortable, and it's also just sinful, and it's evil. And I want to let you guys know that Peter would have understand that this, my friends, was an absolute fail. I mean, this was a fail. For Peter, he knows that he blew it in this moment. This wasn't just an impulsive moment where he denied Christ, but this was sin, and it was evil, and it was not okay. Because I can't imagine being Peter. I mean, Peter had a love and affection for Jesus. I think we read this and we kind of sterilize the story because we know what happens and we know that Peter blew it and we know that Peter made a mistake and we know that Peter failed to keep his promise and, and we know all these things and we take the weight of betrayal out of this text. And you gotta put yourself back in. Put yourself as Peter in this story. Imagine you're him. Like you were a nobody from a fishing village and the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords has dropped down to earth and then invited you to be one of his 12 chosen disciples. And he took you on this faith-filled adventure where he showed you how he had the power to heal the sick. You saw this man preach messages that were filled with truth. You saw him care about the poor. You saw him cast out the demons. You saw this man raise people from death to life. Not only have you believed in Jesus, but you've come to love, respect and appreciate and have friendship with Jesus. It's this Jesus that prayed over Peter. It's this Jesus that shared meals with Peter. It's this moment that he, he's defended Peter in numerous ways. And so, man, Jesus, Peter, Jesus to Peter is not some theological character, some historical figure. He's his friend. And it says in the Gospel of Matthew and in Luke that when Peter understood the weight of his sin and betrayal, he did something. He wept bitterly. Man, it broke this man. This was not like, ah, I kind of blew it today. I feel bad about it. Hopefully I'll do better tomorrow. Like he was in that place where many of us have been, where you feel dirty and you just want to be made clean. He was in that moment where he felt the full weight of his guilt and his shame. And he's wondering, man, I made a mess of this thing. And what do I do now? I've blown it. How did, how did I end up in this place, Lord, where I deny my friend Jesus on his and Jesus is one of his moments of weak and one of his worst days of his life. He's being tried and put on, accused of charges that he didn't even do. And in that moment, I don't want to stand near to Jesus, but I want to deny him. He would have felt that and he wept bitterly. And so this week, I want to just, I want to pause here and say, I, I think this, I want to press a couple areas of application into our church. The first thing I want to say is in the weirdest way, um, I want to confess to you that in some ways I found comfort in Peter's failure. Can I say that? Um, one of the things that we learn about Peter is that he'd been walking with Jesus for a number of years. And yet, even after walking with Jesus for a number of years and believing in Jesus in a very real way, he had a massive failure in his life. And what I want to try to illustrate and I want to press in is that sometimes the greatest failures in our life don't happen before we're Christians, but they happen after we've started following Jesus. Some of you guys are here today and you are absolutely exhausted and you are frustrated and you are tired because you've been trying to be a better version of yourself and you, you're looking at your life and although you're working hard, although you're striving by God's grace, although you're believing God's promises, although you're declaring war on your sin, you've still fallen into failure and sin and temptation and you're wondering, am I even a Christian? Like, how do I keep falling back into the same folly? How does this thing keep um, showing its ugly head in my life? And this is personal to me because I remember as a Christian, after I came to know Christ, I kind of thought like the Christian narrative, because I hear so many testimonies at church, is like, you know what? You're supposed to believe in Jesus, and then it's just like up and to the right. 
Like next year, you'll be a stronger version and a better version and more victorious. And you know, your anxiety, it's going to be gone. Your addictions, they're going to be wiped away. Your struggle in your marriage, it's going to get better. And then after a few years of following Jesus, guess what I realized? I'm still a hot mess. Now that was old. And I want to let you know, I'm so much better now. But have you been there? Have you done the thing that you told God, surely I'll never do that. And you're ashamed of it and you're embarrassed of it and you can't believe, how did I end up here again? Same fight with my wife, same struggle here, same struggle with sexual purity, same compromise over here. Didn't step into that opportunity to be bold about Jesus. I'm doing the very thing I told myself I'd never do again. That's where Peter's at. And I think in some ways, Christians, If you are weary and tired and you're wondering, how can God tolerate me in this place? Has he lost his patience? Would you see this? And understand, this is kind of just the Christian faith. Like, I don't know what you thought it was. Maybe you thought you were gonna trust Jesus and it was just all gonna get better and you were gonna be strong and mighty and you were gonna be able to tell the world how to be awesome like you. And then you realize, like, you never graduate from needing God's grace. Peter blows it. He's a Christian, loves Jesus boldly walk with Christ for the rest of his life. And yet I could take you to other parts in the Bible, Galatians, he blows it again in some ways. And so this is the Christian life, amen? Can we saddle in and say, man, our hope is not in ourselves or our perfection or the fact that we're gonna try to get better, but it's in what Christ has done for us, amen? Now, number two, uh, I wanna press this in on the application. For some of you guys, you just need a little comfort this morning that we're still working our salvation out. We are in process. We are like Peter. And yet others of you guys, you're not fighting your sin and I wanna press in some stuff. For some, I want this text to comfort and others, I want the Holy Spirit to cut some folks today. Oh, it's about to get Baptist up in here. They're like, oh snap, I invited my friend on the wrong week, Lord. I'm so sorry. He gets like this about every three months. Anyways, um, Let me just tell you guys though, real talk, is not God holy? Has he not said, be holy for I am holy? Can our God be mocked? He cannot be mocked. He knows our hearts and he knows our lives. Does he not see the stuff you're trying to hide in the darkness? And will it not come to light? And so for some of us, we're not not weeping and, and broken over our sin. Maybe you're a little embarrassed but you don't understand. You didn't sin against somebody else. You primarily sinned against a holy and righteous God. And you are flirting, cultivating, entertaining, and sitting on unrepented sin as if it does not matter. And yet we would be good and wise to heed what Peter did in this moment. Yes, he called it a failure. And yes, he wept bitterly over his sin and he was restored in relationship with God. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ changed his life because Peter is not the same man at the end of the scriptures. And so, yes, there's hope, but my friends, I wanna call you to declare war on the very thing that might be hindering your intimacy with Jesus Christ. We're not a people that just make excuses, that minimize, that sit in it, that say, ah, it was just a small fail. It was just a mistake. It will get better. We'll just try next time. We call it what it is and we repent actively, say, Jesus, I don't wanna live in this. I wanna walk with you. We confess it to other people and we fight for holiness in our life, amen? And I don't know if anybody else in this room knows what that thing is in your life. I just have a sense that some of you guys are hiding sin and you're hiding your shame and you're pretending over here that it's all okay. 
and in your heart you're justifying, ah, it's not that bad, I kind of need it, it's not hurting anyone, I'm just telling you right now, can I call you to repentance this morning? God is holy. A fail is a fail, a sin is a sin, and there is grace, there's so much grace. And yet, I wanna call us to be a people who are committed to imaging the God who created us and pursuing holiness by his grace and by the empowerment of his Holy Spirit, amen? Would we be those people? We take comfort in knowing that we are in process and yet we declare war on the very things that want to hinder us and keep us from God's best. Amen? Amen. All right, point one is our failures cannot be ignored. Point two is our failures are not final. If this is the end of the story, can I just tell you that this is a horrible story? Like if we just pray and say, go home, be blessed. Uh, horrible, horrible, horrible part of the story. But this is not the end of the story, and that's the really good news. The, the, the end of the story is not that Peter sinned, and it was bad, and he felt shame, and he felt guilt, and then he went home, and he cried. That's not the end of the story. Instead, God is going to jump back into the story. He's going to redeem the story. He's going to show us that our failures are real, but they are not final. And this is where we have to take our eyes off of Peter and look at the other character in the story, which is Jesus. Now, if you read your Bible and you open it up and you look at these verses, you're going to see that what the writers have done, the way the Holy Spirit has organized this thing is you see Peter's denial of Jesus one time, then it pans over and shows you Jesus who's being put on trial. And then it zooms back to Peter and we show the second and third uh, denial of Jesus there. And why does he do that? Why doesn't he just say, okay, this is the denial and this is the trial. What he's doing here is he's trying to show you the contrast of Peter and Jesus, the innocent one and the guilty one. And here's some of the observations here. Peter is trying to protect his life. Jesus is uh, preparing to pour out his life. Peter is denying, cowardly denying his relationship to Jesus while Jesus is courageously facing his opposition for the good of Peter. Peter has been, faith, uh, been unfaithful to do what he said while Jesus is being faithful to do the very thing that he said he would do. Peter is guilty. Jesus is innocent. Peter is sinning. And Jesus is readying himself to die for sinners. There's this contrast and it's beautiful and that is where we find our hope. So Jesus, out of love for sinners like Peter, endures this ridiculous trial. He takes on a death sentence. He then embraces a Roman cross. He then tastes death in full so that you and I could have eternal life. So you're asking yourself today, maybe you've been in that place. Maybe you'll know you'll be in that place, but you're asking, what do I do with my guilt and my shame? Well, the hope that we have is not this, that you would just do better next time. You would just try a little bit harder, that you would just make a deal with God and say, I'm gonna give you a better effort in 2018 Our hope is in none of those things. The place that we take our guilt and our shame is none other than the foot of the cross where we look upon the innocent one who has died for the guilty. See, guys, there's only one that stands in all of the, the history of the world that is not like you and I, who hasn't failed it, who hasn't broken the rules, who hasn't tasted guilt and shame on his own deeds. His name is Jesus. And the amazing thing of the gospel is that he looked at a group of failures and said, I'm not going to punish you for your failures. Instead, I'm going to allow punishment to rest on me. I'm gonna take on wrath so you could experience grace. Do you understand that that's what motivated Jesus to go to the cross for us? That's amazingly good news, that God would pardon the guilty. And so this year, I don't know what your hope is. When you find yourself in this place, which by the way, um, I don't know about you, man, there's some of us who are in that place and some of us will be in that place this year in your marriage, in your relationships, in your purity. Um, And so can I just pastorally tell you, when you get in that place, would you remember the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you? that our hope isn't 
in a better future version of ourselves, but our hope is undeniably and singularly in what Jesus Christ accomplished for us 2,000 years ago. And that's crazy good news. Can we just, right there, can that just be good news right there? All right, here's where we're at. So um, I want to get back into our text because that's what happens theologically, but we get to see this theology play itself out in the relationship between Peter and Jesus in this conversation that we have. And so um, here's what happens. Um, We know that Jesus um, not only tastes death, goes to the cross, but he raises from the grave, and then he appears to many, and he appears to Peter, and he starts a conversation with them. And uh, this is significant because Peter had to be wondering, how does Jesus feel about me? Like, I don't know about what you guys go through when you guys experience a moral failure or you realize you've blown it, but man, there's moments in my life where like, I don't know if I, I, there's a comeback for this one. Like, I don't know if grace is sufficient for this one. And Peter had to be asking those questions. Will God forgive me? Does he accept me? Does Jesus love me? Does he simply just tolerate me or will he invite me back into relationship? And man, this chaos and this lingering question had to be also playing itself out among the disciples. The disciples knew that Peter blew it and he had, they had to be wondering, Dude, like, what do we do with Peter? Like, this dude denied his relationship with Jesus publicly. Is he, like, in or is he out? What do we do with him? And so here we see Jesus pursuing Peter and starting a conversation with him to clear up all of those things. Look at John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. New new scene here. It says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, do you, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want to ask you to notice the first thing. Who initiates this conversation? Is it Peter who is broken or is it Jesus who is in a, uh, uh, the one that is holy and been sinned against? One of the things that was shocking to me is that it's not Peter crawling back to Jesus. It's Jesus pursuing Peter, pursuing reconciliation, moving towards a person who had failed at an epic level and moving towards a person who had nothing to offer. And my friends, I, this brought me crazy amounts of hope and comfort in this moment because um, when, when we sin, oftentimes I think to myself, God's not moving towards me. He's moving away from me. I mean, he's not pressing in and pursuing me in my brokenness. Man, he's got to be pulling away. And oftentimes we think, man, God has got to be exhausted. God has got to be disappointed. God has got to be frustrated. Got to be, God's got to be an angry dad who realizes we broke curfew again and he's ready just to give up. Right? But that's not the God of our Bible. Our God of the Bible is steadfast in his love. He is slow to anger. He is patient and kind with his kids. And so here's one of the things I want to ask you to do. Would we start to believe rightly about the God that we worship? Because all of those misnomers are exposed, not when we're strong and we feel great about ourselves, but when we're weak and we're wondering, does God still have grace for me? Amen? And when this dialogue starts to happen and transpire and one of the things that takes place is he asked him three times. Three times there was a denial. Three times there's this affirmation from uh, Peter to Jesus. And I think that's obviously for a reason to help us understand it's a continuation of a conversation. But um, one of the things that is happening here is he says, do you love me? And I love how Peter answers this question. He doesn't say, yes, I love you, Lord. You know some of my highlights before I blew it. I know I had that weak moment, but look at what I did for you in the past. And he could have said, you know what? Jesus, I do love you, and here's how you'll know I love you. I will serve you my whole life, and I'll try to make it better on my own, and I'll work hard to impress you and please you. No, 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 he says. He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't make promises. 
He doesn't try to, to, to justify the story. He says, Lord, you know everything. Look at the text. He says, Lord, you know everything. You are an all-knowing God, and you know my heart. You know my story. You know my sin. You know my shame. You know the best and the worst about me. You know me. And you know underneath all of that is but just a broken man who loves you and has affection for you. And in that place, Jesus receives this humble man's posture. And then he says, okay, then would you go and would you feed my sheep? Um, This is more than just a moment where two dudes are hugging it out because there's been some relational drama. Man, this is a scandalous invitation by Jesus Christ. First lie that I've heard when I fell into guilt and shame, even as a Christian that, that fell back into some things I told myself I'd never fall back into, felt like, man, my paradigm of the gospel was tested. Is God's grace sufficient for me or is it just for somebody else, right? Second lie that many times paralyzes Christians is we think to ourselves, maybe God will tolerate us and forgive us, but surely he doesn't have a purpose and plan for our life. Like maybe it was so bad that we disqualified ourselves and we took ourselves out of the game, right? And I don't know about you, but I have seen that lie paralyze more Christians than anything else. Some of you guys are here today and there's been a divorce and there was some addiction in the past and there's been some mess in your relationship with your kids and some things didn't go as you thought they should go. And because of that, you have sat in your guilt and your shame and you've received grace for your sin, but you have not believed that God can use you because you thought there was a better candidate for the job. You thought, surely God doesn't want to use a dude like me because my resume has some stains on it and I don't have the right story. And what would people think if they knew the worst about me? Let me just tell you right now that your sin and your shame and the moments of your story that you're most ashamed of is oftentimes the very one that God will use to bring hope to very weary people. And I'm gonna say this right here. The absolute best missionaries and bold witnesses for Jesus Christ, that's what he's saying, Peter, go feed my sheep. What he's saying is, listen, don't just hug this out and understand you're forgiven. Be about my purposes, Peter. I haven't been exhausted by you. I'm not done working in you. I'm not done working through you. That's what Jesus is saying when he said, feed my sheep three times. And what he's saying here is, listen, I want to let you guys know that your brokenness doesn't disqualify you. It readies you for ministry. The weakest people among us do the greatest things for Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, first of all, God loves to use weak, broken, failed people. Do you know why? You know why? Because first of all, that's all he has to work with. Some of y'all were like, I know he uses my husband all the time. Okay, he uses you too, hon. Okay, you ain't all that awesome. Okay, I know about 1989, what she was doing that summer. Okay, so just back up, right? That's all he has. There's not like good and bad. There's just broken and then forgiven. That's it. That's the paradigm. And number two, I want to let you guys know, if you've ever had a conversation with somebody who thinks they're stronger than they really are, and you ask him what's going on in your life, they'll give you good advice. Here's how you can be awesome like me. And it's self-promotion, it's a couple tips, it's here's the book that I read. If you ever talk to somebody who's weak and experienced their failure like Peter, and you said, okay, what's going on in your life? What changed your life? They don't preach good advice, they preach good news. Do they not? They boast in Jesus Christ alone. Because the only hope they have is not their parenting tips, some expertise that they figured out. Instead, what it is is, man, there's nothing good in me apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. You want to be a great witness. You want to feed my sheep. You want to be somebody who is used by God in a mighty way. You've got to get low before the Lord and understand you don't have to cover that sin and shame. That's the very thing that God wants to enter into and redeem. And he's going to set you up to be a person who tells a story that is powerful and gives hope to the watching world. Is that not amazing how God works that all out? 
It's been my story. I, I can't remember. I, I can't tell you guys how um, awesome this was. If there was ever a, a story in the Bible that, that filled my heart with hope as a brand new Christian, it was this one. I remember reading this in the dorms at Wayne State College, literally ran my Bible down the hallway and were like, hey, listen up. Have you guys read this story? Have you read this? And people are looking at me like, bro, I'm just trying to do my Nintendo 64 thing. I'm like, stop that. Put that down. I got to tell you a story because this is so amazing because I, I was reading this story and I'm thinking, man, like this is my story. I don't come from the right home, the right background, the right thing. I've blown it before and after as a Christian. And yet every time I come back to this story and I'm saying, man, there's hope. And I just wanna, I wanna speak to a few of you here today that have bought into the lie that you're so far gone and you're so far broken and that God will use somebody else and there's no hope for you and all of those things. Maybe you'll get into heaven because God has promised to do that, but man, surely God doesn't love and pursue you. And I look at this text and I said, would we understand the God that we worship is incredible? Can we do that today? Let me close with this. Um, this year, I just want us to continue to grow in this understanding that our sin can't be ignored and yet God's grace is for real. And that um, this week, I hope that we'd understand um, that your failures, for some of you guys in this room, I wanna ask you to declare war on it this week. And for others of you guys this week, you guys have been, you've been in bondage to guilt and shame to some stuff that you've been a part of in the past. And I just... I want to allow the gospel to be calling you out of some of those things and into a greater freedom so that God can use your story for his glory. Amen.